Hello and welcome to You Really Shouldn't Have. Now, I'm a huge fan of the NFL, so when the opportunity arose to have a former player on the show, I absolutely jumped at the chance. Joining me this week is former offensive lineman Sean Harper. We talk about his NFL career playing for the LA Rams and Indianapolis Colts, as well as what he's been up to since stepping away from the field. And as always, he lets me in on the story behind the worst gift he's ever been given. So, Sean, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Really great to have you here. Thank you for having me. We're going to have fun today. I think we will. I wanted to start with a question inspired by the title of your book, which is The Winning Edge, Eight Principles to Bring Out the Winner in You. And so I wanted to know, is, is the culture and sort of mindset of winning and play to win, is that something that was instilled early on in your sporting career? Yeah, actually, yes, it was. And I, I, I actually stumbled upon this concept by default. What I mean by that is that I was faced with um, an insurmountable proposition. And the proposition was that, and on my current trajectory, I could never achieve a level of success because I didn't have the grades, had a 1.62 accumulative GPA out of high school, which is um, dismal. I wasn't, I wasn't a outstanding athlete. I had nothing going for me at all. And so according to success, you know, you had to have, you know, the good marks with the good grades, the good network and some fame, you know, parents have something, I had nothing. And so according to the success mindset, I would never make it. But when I transformed or transcend into a winning mindset, I was able to pull from other um, aspects of life and other opportunities illuminated themselves to me and which enabled me uh, to win and to keep winning. I assume you started playing sport from an early age. When did you first start playing football and when did you realize it was something you could potentially pursue professionally? So I started playing football in the second grade. My mom made me play football, not because I loved the sport, although I did, I did love to watch it, but I was a little lazy kid, you know? <laughs> and I didn't want to go out and run in like a half mile before practice and, you know, all the crazy drills. I hated that stuff. And <laughs> so uh, football was just a necessary evil, you know, all the way up, probably till my senior year in high school, I started liking it. I went up to a junior college and then I started liking it more. And then uh, about my junior year, at Indiana University, uh, I got a phone call and the, the uh, phone conversation was like, you know, you have the potential to go pro. And that's when I made the switch. I always had it in my heart to go pro, but to be introduced or someone to speak it outside of myself was my junior year in college. If we go to sort of the start of your professional career, I guess the draft is, is the sort of moment that signifies the start of a player's professional career. What do you remember of that draft process? And did you ever have a feeling of which team might draft you? You know, it was really interesting. Before the draft, there's what they call the combine. Uh -huh. um, and, and, you know, it's, it, it is a, wow, it is an amazing experience. You have every NFL team, at least three or four people, personnel per NFL team, and they're watching and they're bringing in probably a, a few hundred of the best athletes in America. And, and they, uh, 
they have a chance to get to know you one-on-one. They watch you in your drills and then your skill sets and maybe even a little bit of like one-on-one competition uh, just to see how you're acting, how you fare, what's your body language like. And I tell you, it was a great experience. And uh, it was at that time when I began to talk, talk to particular teams and they were showing an interest. And, uh, and then leading up to the draft day, um, you know, if you're like a first round pick, you know, they invite you to New York and, yeah. you know, they have a table in the suite or whatever. And then they announce your name to get an interview and, you know, but you know, I was like the third pick in the fourth round out of 11 rounds, pretty yeah. high, but not, you know, the, the first round pick. And so I was at home and I was just uh, in my college apartment, the phone rang, I was sitting on a couch and I had a friend with me and I was watching the draft and right before they called my name, I get a phone call. It's like, this is such and such from the Rams. Are you ready? I said, I'm ready. And they hung the phone up within uh, one minute later. It's, you know, we're drafting Sean Harper to the Rams from Indiana University. Awesome moment. Now, you were drafted by the LA Rams, but you also spent time at both the Houston Oilers and the Indianapolis Colts during your career. So I wonder what the most memorable moments were that stay with you from your playing career. You know, the most memorable moments, believe it or not, is engaging other athletes, the locker room, the locker room experience and, you know, hanging out with other guys with that, you know, can do uh, D on the disc mindset, you know, it's just let's just do it and uh, one up in each other. That competition off the field was just as intriguing, <laughs> invigorating as the competition on the field. You also played in NFL Europe with the Amsterdam Admirals. So I wondered if that experience differed at all from playing in the US. You know, not much. I tell you the major difference, the major difference was the culture. The European culture is just fascinating. I had more fun. It's just, you know, my first time in Amsterdam, and then I actually played for Frankfurt as well in Germany. Uh, It it just traveling all over Europe, you know, into the UK, Scotland, and Barcelona. It's just the culture uh, was more, honestly, more fascinating than playing football itself. During your time with Amsterdam, you also protected a very young Kurt Warner at quarterback. So I wondered, even back then, did he show the promise of the player that he went on to become? Yes, but it was more off the field. Ah. His, his, his leadership was so consistent off the field, um, even you know, more than being on the field, just, just being that individual uh, to, you know, right the ship, um, even more consistent than me or anyone else on the team. You know, he would hold weekly chapel meetings, Bible studies. He would encourage players. He would get on players. Uh, it, it, basically it was like a coach on the field. So that was an amazing experience with that individual. With NFL Europe obviously being no more, but the game has seen a huge international growth, certainly here in the UK. Uh, did you ever expect that to be a thing when you were playing in Europe, that we'd see sort of sellout crowds in the UK? Uh, yeah, you know, it's a long time coming. Uh, the European crowd, um, honestly, is, wow, how should I say this? The European crowd, in some instances, is 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 a better fit for an NFL team. And this is why. Because the loyalty level of the European crowd is just 
remarkable, was fascinating. Like we would lose a game and the fans would still, you know, they're like, you lost, but you're our team. You know, they yeah. actually embraced you. And then they would sing. They would sing a, a, like a <laughs> soccer song. I, I, I mean, I almost broke down first time I heard that. It was like 65,000 people in Frankfurt, and they're all singing some song in German. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, how can you not play for these people? They're very loyal. They're very loyal. All right, then, Sean, what is the worst gift you've ever been given? Oh, my goodness. The worst gift I have ever been given in my entire life. Um, and I don't know if this was real or not, but <laughs> or was it like a joke? But when I was a kid, right, I used to, you know, go to the store every year and I would get my father um, uh, some aftershave, like it was brute or something. It cost like a couple bucks. And I would get that from every single year. And I can remember, I think I was in my thirties and I was ready and I was excited. And I was going over to his house for Christmas and I opened it up and it was a bottle of brute. I was like, man, I would never wear this. Like, well, you bought this for me for years. I was like, this is horrible. This is, this is not even aftershave. This is like tonic you put on your skin if you cut yourself. You know, like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. That had to be it. During your playing career, did you ever play any sort of pranks or, or buy each other sort of joke gifts? throughout your time there in the locker room? We didn't have joke gifts. We had nice gifts. Uh, you know, we would do small things like little pranks. Like let's say that uh, somebody's breath was kind of strong, right? And, and so what we would do is that uh, we would go out and purchase like, you know, 200 sticks of bubble gum. And as soon as the person would walk into the facility, there'll be a, a stick of gum. And that's, then there'll be, you know, a subsequent sticks of gum that will lead, you know, maybe like 10, 15, 20 feet all the way up to his locker. And then and he'll look in his helmet and be like 500 pieces of gum. Like, man, did you get the message? You know? Yeah. <laughs> In all, you played seven seasons in the NFL. I wonder what prompted the decision to retire. It was time. It's it's one of the things that that I've never wanted was to chase anything, uh -huh. um, and I didn't want to chase the dream anymore, especially when there's other opportunities that are knocking. So um, sometimes you have to step away from that. The post playing career, you went into the security business. So I wondered how that sure. move came about. You know, it, it, it was it was amazing because my brother had the business and then, you know, you know he kind of uh, rolled it over to me and my brother-in-law and then eventually I took it. But, you know, it's a natural fit. I mean, I I played left tackle. Yeah. So the left tackle is just like every other lineman except for his mentality. The left tackle is a very protective individual. Um, the left tackle is usually a loner, uh, reserved. And so coming into the security, it's like, it, you know, it was a very simple transition. I'm the left tackle and my client is the quarterback. That's how I wrote it. Yeah, it was great. Are there principles of building a winning team in a sporting environment that you think transfer directly into the business world? You know, I think most, if not all concepts of building a winning team transcends uh, 
um, into the corporate world. And here's one of my beefs. One of my beefs is that, you know, I do a ton of consulting, you know, I do speaking. Uh, and, and, and so when I speak to a C-level individuals, you know, people are in a corporate boardroom, a lot of them have that competitive winning mindset. But when you get to middle management and lower, they teach a success mindset. And there's a dichotomy. There's a difference between the two. And so I would love and, you know, I, you know, encourage them to teach a team or a winning mindset all the way from the C-level all the way down to the person in the mailroom or whatever rank, everyone, everyone that's involved, the contractors, everyone has a winning mindset. And when you bring the entire team uh, or I'm sorry, the, the, the entire corporation that transferred that, that energy pulls um, like you've never seen. And so that has been one of my missions. My goal is to, is to create a winning environment for teams. Were there experiences and lessons you took from your sporting career that you were able to apply to your own business venture in the beginning? Oh, yeah. So let me give you an example. In the NFL, we probably spend no less than 40 hours of film, not practice, just film, studying our competitor. Well, I'll say 30 hours, studying the competitor, studying the competition. Okay, it's back up to 40 because you got the scouting department and the scouting department's in some cave somewhere. And all they do is study the opponent, study their tendencies, uh, read updates. They know everything about each individual that we're going up against, the heights, the weight, the tendencies, nonverbal communication. But what I've learned and what I've noticed in the corporate world, we don't study our competition like that. Yeah, but I've but I've learned that I study the competition, I study the competitors, um, every single one of them. I I mean. Everyone that does security in Columbus, I know who you are. I know everything about you, your strengths, your weaknesses, everything. And, and, and that's just one of many tactics and strategies I used that has allowed me to win at this level. We mentioned the book from right at the beginning of the interview, the, the winning edge, eight principles that bring out the winner in you. What do you feel is the one key principle that you've taken with you throughout your career journey? The law of 212, you know. Water, water boils at 211 degrees. Uh At 212 degrees, water boils. And boiling water has changed the world. And the greatest victories have not been by huge margins. They've been with tenths or one hundredths of seconds. You know, Uh, this person won the golf tournament by maybe two strokes. This person won a, you know, Indy or NASCAR by, uh, you know, a tenth of a second. You know, a sprinter, a tenth of a second. The smallest margins. But we don't remember who came in second. We always remember who came in first. So... Being able to outwork and be more intentional than your competition and discovering your greatest competitor, which is not other businesses, it's yourself and pushing yourself or hiring a coach to push you into the 212. Sean, wrapping up, if you had to go right back to the beginning of your career and get yourself a gift to help to get where you are now, what gift would it be? I would get a personal trainer, a personal coach, 
I would find someone who has played the game and on the off season, I would work with him every day. I would get a hotel room and I would go wherever he is at or she, and I would work with them every day. And finally, Sean, where can people find out more about you and what you do? Yeah. So you can go to my website at seanharper.org, Sean with a W, you know, look up any search engine, seanharper.co. I do have a free gift. We talked about the winning edge. So seanharper.co, you can go there. You'll get a free copy of my book. You know, there it is. It's in digital format. It's yours. Selfishly, if you can help me out, I'm always trying to increase my Instagram presence. Uh, So if you can, you know, go to Sean Harper speaker and follow me on Instagram. I have tons of amazing contents updated every day. Uh, You will not be disappointed. Incredible. Now, before I let you go, I have one final question. Obviously the start, the start of the season is upon us. Who's winning the Super Bowl? Well, (laughs) you know, I'm going to say something here and this is going to shock a lot of people. Okay. Okay. You know, normally, of course, I would, you know, lean towards my Indianapolis Colts, you know. Of course. But a dark horse. Be on the lookout for the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Yes. They have a lot of weapons. They have a lot of weapons this year. You think Dak's going to bring it this year? Yeah, because, because he has something to prove. Well, we'll keep an eye on the Cowboys and see how uh, true that is come the end of the season. Sean, thanks so much for joining me on the show. It's been great to have you here. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to this episode of You Really Shouldn't Have. Be sure to subscribe to us on your chosen podcast service to make sure you never miss another episode. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at BadGiftsPod, as well as online at BadGiftsPod.com. International Podcast Day is September 30th, and you can help spread the word. You may be asking, what can I do to get involved? It's pretty simple. Head over to internationalpodcastday.com and check the suggestions. Then use hashtag International Podcast Day to join the conversation. You can reach out and connect with other podcasters, listeners, and your favorite podcast hosts. Remember September 30th, International Podcast Day, a day-long celebration of the power of podcasts.